The fact is, left and right, they've realized that the easiest way to get you returning as a customer is to piss you off. Absolutely. The angrier you are, the more likely you're going to come back and hit that blog again, that website again. You're going to watch that TV program again. So they constantly try to piss you off. Let me tell you, this is the best moment in the history of the world, in the best country to be in. Right now, we are so blessed to be in the United States of America. If you were up in heaven, a soul waiting to be born, and you could pick a place and a time, and you didn't know, I was going to be black, female, white, gay, uh, paraplegic, any of that stuff. If you didn't know, you could only pick a time and a place, you'd pick the United States right now. Battleline podcast, and you guys are going to love this show with Brad Thor, and I don't mean to make you too jealous, Chris, but... Uh... I did just, since we had Brad Thor in studio prior to recording the intro here, I did get this signed to me by Brad Thor, which, I mean, it doesn't get cooler than that. And, and I feel like, man, my my collection of books signed to me by authors, whether it's special operations, military authors, just, you know, people like Brad Thor, fiction authors, man, it's just, it, it's expansive. And, and it's, I love it. I love having yeah, these books. Yeah, I, I, personally. I, I like and he wrote Never Quit in here, which he said, he said was like Marcus Luttrell. I'm like, Chris writes Never Quit a nah, lot. Nah, that's not shut up. Brad. Oh, <laughs> wrong. Right. That's Marcus's team never quit. I just put never quit in it. Right. Never quit. Uh, that's what I sign my books at. Come on, Brad. But if Marcus does too, it's all right. Never quit's a good at. And I think, I think we, we're cut from the same cloth. So, it works, but it definitely is a tunnel thing, not a Marcus the Trail. So, so uh, <laughs> the the first thing I want to mention actually is you guys have to follow. Um, wow, why am I why am I forgetting her name? Uh, Sarah Adams, CIA target, sure. which is That's at Ascari Media, A S K A R I Media Group on Instagram, Ascari Media Group on Instagram, um, because there's just always more updates still with Benghazi, even though we're talking about a story that's nearly 11 years old. Um, you know, I think it was just two episodes ago, we talked about Ziad Balam um, being captured. And then Sarah just put up last night that he's been released. She also put up a picture that, you know, Ziad Balam has a leg missing. He has a prosthetic and she made some joke about like a one-legged terrorist. But yeah, I mean, I, I, know, I know I know the episode two ago you were saying like, oh, I'll probably be in a jail in Libya. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Unfortunately. It looks like he's, he's coming. I, yeah, it, it just I, what she does is she brings to light that that the government, our government in that case doesn't give two shits. And the Libyan government, of course, did, but it, it, when has any other foreign government really gave a shit? Uh, about us for the most part. And this is talking after doing 10 years of, of a global on terror and being a lot of these other governments and sitting in some of their prisons, not being in prison, but going to the prison, taking people there and so forth. Uh, but uh, it comes down to us is that our government doesn't care. And I, I want to remind them, Ronan, you know, we were paid. That's what we get paid. We get paid not to die, but if we do, that's, hey, that's part of the job. It's a hazard of the job. We lost an ambassador in Chris Stevens that, let me reiterate this to everybody that doesn't know State Department. There are different levels of ambassadorship. There really are. There's somebody who makes an appointment. You, you, you donate. You can become the ambassador of a small island in the you know, small island in the Pacific. Ambassador Stevens was high, high level. That is like a three-star general. So basically, they killed a three-star general. If we, if any, if we did have a three-star general die. Do you not think that we continually go after the terrorists that did that? Do you not think they would bring being brought to justice? Well, that's essentially what we are not doing. And by doing that, U.S. government, whoever is in office, 
whether it be Biden, whether it be the next president, whoever that might be, the administration, whoever sit in the Pentagon, the, the, the Joint Chiefs, the, the Secretary of Defense, you guys are not doing shit and you're not be, you're really dishonoring the ambassador's memory. I, I mean, screw up. You're fine. You don't like us. That's I was a contractor. I get that. You don't have to. I get paid to die. I get paid. It's what you paid me for. But you are dishonoring Ambassador Chris Stevens, who did, who does deserve that respect. He is somebody that was a high level, just as high as you guys are that are sitting out there in Northern Virginia right now. And by letting these terrorists go, not bringing any of them to justice, you are dishonoring his memory. You know, and of course, Ronan Bubbs, but I know Ronan Bubb would be saying the same thing I'm saying right now. It's like, hey, we get paid to die. But Chris Stevens, he doesn't get paid to die. In fact, and he would be, he's the same level as you jackasses are that are sitting up in D.C. So by letting these people go, you're, you're besmirching his memory. So put your damn politics aside and bring these terrorists to justice, whether it be by death, <laughs> whether it be by putting him in a prison for the rest of their lives or by forcing their countries to put some pretty pretty good justice on them so that that's what makes me mad is that is that they they don't care and that's that's horseshit but i, I mean i guess that par for the course because they didn't come to help us to begin with anyway so they don't care it's just validating that point i know i went on a tangent there. no but i but, I, I understand the passion yeah. So, uh, but um, hey, uh, and you have Sarah Adams out there fighting these people for you for free. You're not even paying her to do this. And she's fighting, she's doing your targeting job, CIA, for you. So the least you can do is get these people and hold them accountable. And they, these terrorist people, these terrorists and hold them accountable. Fuck the politics of it. Terrorists, we, we can all agree that terrorists are bad. So go get those assholes bring them over here or force the libyan government or whatever government has them to put some pretty harsh punishment on them and if it's death then it's death because they did they, they murdered they murdered four of my friends and, and and i think that's that's not going on a limb to say that and if i offend somebody by saying that eat a bag of shit i don't, I don't really care because it's the truth in my and that's, I, I really honestly believe that and i always will i'll take that to my grave yeah and um, so before we get to Brad Thor, I'll tell you something real quick that relates to Benghazi, but it's on a lighter note, which this obviously <laughs> was. Okay, thank you. Was I saw <laughs> Godsmack and Stained the other night at Jones Beach Theater. Uh, at the very end, I just wanted to beat some traffic. Um, I was walking out with my friends as I Stand Alone is playing, which the Godsmack always yeah. ends with. As I stand alone is playing, I see a guy walking out of the Jones Beach uh, Amphitheater and he's got a Benghazi shirt, right? And it's got the names no of the guys who, who died. Yeah. And so I don't have my stickers on me. I'm not someone who goes to shows to promote or anything. You know, I just go to have fun with my yeah. friends. But I do have my business cards on me. And I'm like, if there's ever been a guy who's target audience for our show, <laughs> it's going to be this guy. So I was like, hey, man, I just saw your shirt. Uh, you got to check out our podcast. I do a podcast with you know, one of the Benghazi attack survivors, Chris Peranto. And this guy looked at me as if I was handing him a flyer for like the most random shit. And you just wanted to be like, no, dude, like the guy who's on your shirt is literally has a podcast. And it was just the reaction was like, I just gave him a flyer for, I don't know, for for like the Backstreet Boys or something. You're just like, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's – and, and, and if he's listening, it would be a miracle. I, I don't think he's checking out the podcast. But I thought we had one more listener. Not Apparently not, though. Is it the end of the show? Dude, he could have been fucking three sheets to the wind. 
Jack Daniels and shroomed up, and he's just looking at. And he probably saw three of you, and one of you had big ears like Dumbo, the other one was polka dotted. <laughs> yeah, but that is that is fucking hilarious. It is like, do you really? But because you want to be like, no, you're literally wearing a shirt of of the guy I'm telling you to check out. You know what? That reminds me of just our interview with Brad about the echo chamber. Do you really know what happened, buddy? Are you just part of that group that's pissed off because you don't like Joe Biden and Hillary? And that's why you're wearing that damn shirt. I think that's a lot of be wearing the shirt because you know what happened than wearing it to make a political statement. I, I so maybe that's it too, but I really think it's the latter, dude. I just think he was fucking high and drunk as hell. That's what did and saw eight of you standing there, and he you're lucky. Did he like grab the card and like miss it the first couple? No, times I, I don't. I really. I mean, I know it's a funny joke. I don't think he. I think he was just. <laughs> there's something with I think New Yorkers who just feel like all right, you're always trying to sell something. Uh, but yeah, in yeah. this case, it was like. No, anyway, that that's really it. But you guys are going to love this interview with Brad Thor. Before we get to Brad Thor, I got to talk about Ned. A lot of you guys have been checking out Ned over these past several years at this point, whether it's their CBD or their Mellow Magnesium blend, especially if you're having sleep issues. I know post-traumatic stress, I can't relate to that as much, but especially if you're having sleep issues, you got to take a, a magnesium supplement. It is just great to take. And you're going to be out and you're going to have a great night's sleep and you're going to get those nutrients in your system that you're likely deficient in. With over 700 five-star customer reviews, Ned's Mellow Magnesium is an instant hit. Nourish your entire body with Ned's proprietary super blend with three forms of chelated magnesium, GABA, L-theanine, and over 70 trace minerals. It propels memory, mood, brain function, and stress response, nerve and muscle health, and of course, sleep. And about 75% of Americans are deficient in it. Um, I know that Ned has really done wonders for you, which you've oh, yeah. spoken about. And, and you know what else? We, we talk about sleep. We talk about, uh, you know, uh, helping with anxiety, even helping with depression. People forget it helps with gut. It, it's great gut health. All their stuff is natural, whether you do the CBD, the mellow magnesium. All that stuff actually has improved my gut health and having inflammatory bowel disease. That's extremely important because if you don't have good gut health, then honestly, everything else falls to the wayside because you're not able to absorb nutrients correctly in your lower intestine. And I, I'm not a doctor. I just know what from sure. I just stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> but uh, it's the truth. And I think we forget that with Ned is that we talk about and it does. It works wonders on the uh, on on the emotions that's helped me got some maintain some mental stability, getting that back. A lot of the depression I had is, is since gone. But it also has helped me with my gut, and and I haven't had a flare up. I haven't had a flare up since I started taking it, whether it's net or not. At least I know it's part of it. So, just just tr tremendous overall health, whether it's mental or physical health. Ned Ned is Ned Ned has it, and it's it's all natural. And they're and they're a bunch of great guys. Again, yeah. it's a company that's run by great individuals, which to me says a lot about their integrity, which says a lot about their product. So yeah, Ned's Ned's top notch. Absolutely. So Ned's Mellow Magnesium is now available on Amazon, but you're going to get the best deal through us, of course, as a first time customer. You got to go to helloned.com slash battleline or just enter the code battleline at checkout. Trust me, this is something that's going to be a part of your daily ritual. Yep. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash battleline. H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash battleline. With that, Let's get over to New York Times bestselling author, as you said, all-around great guy, yeah. Brad Thor.
From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line podcast, and even though it's the third appearance by New York Times bestselling author Brad Thorne uh, on the show, this is the and first genuinely in just studio. A good dude. So. I, I hate leading with that. Like, she, 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 with Brad Thorne, who's a good dude. Oh, Let's just go with that. Let's <laughs> that. Chris. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's great to actually see you again, because you we were saying it's been a long time. But we're here, of course, to promote the new book, which is Deadfall. And you know, it's the first thing, actually, I was thinking of. Um, I, I didn't write down which book is it. This is 22nd. 22nd, 23rd overall, because I did a spinoff one year. One that wasn't Scott Harvath. Yeah, that was all. That was the female team out of the unit, uh, the Athena Project. So the thing I I was going to ask, because I haven't read all 22 of Scott Harvath's book, like has Scott Harvath – had an operation in every continent at this point. Like his passport is insane. It, you know what? It is insane. I don't know that I've ever done anything with him in South America. So that's like the one place. I mean, last year he went to India for the whole Chinese India thing and maybe doing like a Asian version of NATO and the Chinese wanted to stop that. And then he's been up uh, in Norway, the Arctic Circle. So yeah, he's been a lot of places, but I don't think South America. So he do an operation with you, Chris. You were you were in South America. Yeah, we got got to get him down there, man. We got to get him down to El Salvador and Peru and get him up. Maybe well, the FARC's kind of gone, or are they gone? Maybe they're just not the news anymore because because you know old the old cocaine, Medellin, and FARC. And, that's old news, dude. That that's that's yeah. that's passe. You know, who cares about those guys anymore? But that'd be cool if you could do a get down there and and be running cocaine smuggling operations and anti sorry anti he's the hero right, <laughs> he's the hero, um, right. exactly yeah, so, yeah yeah i think that'd be cool as hell but yeah why actually why yeah why haven't you i would have figured that would have been the first place you you'd know go because that's that's all that's 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 blase man that's that's what you do you yeah go south and central america mexico it is uh you know before i was a writer i i had a show uh a travel show and i was the host of the yeah. travel show i grew up reading clancy and freddie forsyth yeah, yeah. and john le carre all these guys and uh but for my tv show i spent a lot of time in western europe so i was very conversant in Western Europe, very comfortable. Uh, and so South America was, I just don't have any experience. Basically, Mexico's as far south as I've gotten. I've gone through the Panama Canal. So maybe, you know, that counts, but I was on a ship. I didn't, you know, my feet didn't get dry the whole time. So uh, I haven't done it. So that's possible, but I like to pick a big, like what I think is going to be the next big geopolitical issue. And that's what I wrap the books around. So I'm in that mode right now, even though I'm doing Deadfall, which takes place in Ukraine, I'm already thinking about next year and what the story is going to be Taiwan was that what's going to be next uh, you're working for the agency dude I'm yeah Taiwan a, yeah I mean that's yeah, that's yeah. a I, Taiwan is looking very very interesting it's it's tough if I set a book in a place where Scott Harvath can't blend in 
So yeah. if he's the only Guaylo that's over that's there, the true. only you know uh, white devil, as uh, as some of my yep. uh, friends in Hong Kong uh, told me they would call him, that, that's a little bit that's a little bit tough. Um, but it is a challenge for a writer if you go to a, in your books a completely different culture, which is especially what I've done with the new book of just uh, like I remember watching uh, Saving Private Ryan, and they had that challenge and response, the you know, flash thunder, yeah. you know, so yeah. you knew you were you had friendlies running up on you, or you were running up on these guys and they were friendlies and uh, it was great researching this book to even figure out what the Ukrainian equivalent was because there's a word for peasant bread in Ukrainian that Russians cannot pronounce and so they do this challenge the Ukrainian if if they see foreign foreign soldiers or soldiers they don't know if they're on their side or not they challenge them to say this word and if you can't say the word in Ukrainian they know you're one of the bad guys well, pretty cool. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say that I um I know you've done a ton of research from this book. And if you go to bradthor.com, like you cite where you did your research, yeah, who you spoke to. So did you speak to Ukrainian soldiers on the ground? I mean, what was some of your experience? No. So I was lucky to get uh, – we've got a certain amount of Americans that are helping to train Ukrainians, uh, whether that's for the different weapon systems or just as we were talking about offline, there's the whole, you know, there's 17 uh, brigade combat teams that have been trained Ukrainians by the United States in, in our allies and things like that. So I'm able to network a little bit on that side. What's amazing with this, though, is how much GoPro footage you can find on YouTube yeah, I know. Uh, wow. by guys that have joined the Ukrainian International Legion. And you can really like it's not only gunfights, it's, you know, no, it's it's just they're in their hooch. They're waiting, trying to figure out where to go next. It's a lot of land nav. And, and you're seeing the stuff that you would normally see, right? It's like, wait a second. We were told this would be here. We're here. It's not here. So there's all that kind of stuff, right, that gets screwed up at the time of war and, and all that. So the, for me, it was it was almost as if this entire conflict had been live streamed. I mean, there's just a ridiculous amount of hours. I couldn't watch all the footage out there. But for a thriller author who wants my novel to hit as close to possible, as close as possible to what's going on, it's like my cup runneth over with with opportunities to. I mean, it's practically like being embedded with all this footage. I mean, it's nuts. It's funny that you you say there's all this footage because Chris and I did a Q and A episode two episodes ago. And there was someone who wrote us and said, why do I turn on the mainstream media and I don't see any footage of what's going on in Ukraine? So Chris and I had different theories mm. on it because I said, go on Twitter. Like there's plenty of yeah, stuff you tons can see. On Twitter. And, I, and I said, to be fair, to be objective, you're going to see stuff that makes the Russian military look horrible. You're going to see stuff that makes the Ukrainians look horrible, quite honestly. Some of it's being used for propaganda. Some of it's going to be accurate. But um, you'd probably well, be better you said to something. I'm sorry, Brad, but yeah. Ian did say something that I really agreed with. He goes, well, it's because we don't have any U.S. soldiers on the ground. We're not. That's why, because ah. we're not showing which you know, we do. We have former. I, I know we do. We have a few, but we don't have like the big grand scheme of like the global war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. And honestly, I, I believe that theory. I'm like, well, I think that's why is because really. We don't have a lot like a U.S. presence, a big U.S. presence, divisions, airborne units, Rangers, special forces, right. SEALs. The skin's not and, in the game. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why you're not seeing it. Not because it's and not that's not a responsible way to me. That's just because that's that's going to sell more books if you show an American. I excuse my luck with that because I sell books, too. But <laughs> yeah, you know, that's going to sell more books and put more stuff on the TV set. If you got Americans dying and doing heroic actions overseas as well, then 
Ukrainians and Russians, even though we do have embedded and we do have contractors and civilians. And I'm sure we have some embedded GB and 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 ODD and ODA units uh, yeah. over there. ODA so from forth. around the way. So, yeah. 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 Uh, <clears throat> or OGA from around the way. Sorry, I misspoke. Uh, <laughs> well, you're, you're right. ODA and uh, we're talking that long yeah. cabbers and the and the and the OGA guys, too. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you're, you, you might have a, right. a further answer on that, though, I feel like, because. Yeah. I, as I, I said, I feel like you and I it's funny. Chris always says he never watches any news. I watch very little. I did turn on MSNBC and I saw your and yeah. I, not just your appearance. I saw like your ads running and stuff like that. But when you see Ukraine covered, honestly, it has more to do with like the amount that we're spending, which is a whole right. other debate. Right. Yeah. But yeah. our the email that was sent to us at battlelinepodcast at gmail.com, they were like, why are we not seeing war footage? And like I said, go on Twitter, go online. You could find it. it. Yeah. But. Is it just that because is it not what people are clicking on? I, I, I gave part of an answer. But you may have a better answer. Well, so I, I can tie this right to the drone strikes that Ukraine did on Moscow uh, this week that just happened within days. I think it was like two days ago. I think it, it's, we're recording this. Today's what? Tuesday. So yeah. I think we woke up yesterday morning to there had been these drone strikes uh, overnight in Moscow. And part of the reasons why the Ukrainians launched these drone strikes in deep into Russia, right into Moscow, is because uh, the people of Moscow felt that this war was so far away. So they were kind of paying attention. They knew that they were getting hit because of the sanctions, but it was kind of easy for them to ignore it. If you can get around the sanctions and you're you're comfortable, you're doing all right, you can kind of pretend like this thing is not happening in Ukraine. So that's why they've started hitting Moscow with these drones, is to really bring it home for the people in Moscow, to, to add pressure on Putin to, to knock it off or maybe to encourage a coup there. So I think in the United States, you'll see you'll see foreign correspondents in Kiev and things like that, and maybe they'll get a little bit closer to the front lines. But I, I think to tie it and make it interesting for American viewers, it's really hard to do this because people, the majority of people, and I'm not talking about the people that listen to this podcast, because I think you've got sure. you've got an audience that understands what's going on in the world and what's important. But I think it's a tough thing to keep Americans in front of a piece, a package on the news about Ukraine, because what do they care? You know what I mean? I think that that is the big problem. And what's interesting, I was just looking at some polling, and what you find is the greatest support for the war in Ukraine with American citizens are actually people 60 and above in this country. So as you get down to people younger than that, particularly like 18 to 29, they are not supportive of this because they didn't grow up with the Cold War. They don't understand what a great opportunity this is to hollow out the Russian military without a drop of American blood being spilled. This is fantastic. If you're a taxpayer, you should really care about this, not because of the the, the equipment that we're cycling through there, but this is going to help us better define our defense budget going forward. We can focus on China. We can focus on our Navy, which really needs to be built up. We need many, many, many more ships, but we now know that the Russian military military is a paper tiger. I think it was John McCain that called Russia a gas station with nukes. So the idea that we have to waste, uh, not waste, but that we, because it was never a waste. We were going with the best information we had, which was if we've got to do a two-front two war, if we're dealing with Russia and China, this is what it is to deal with Russia. Now we found out different things. We The kleptocracy in Russia has hollowed out that military.
military. The, I mean, the, the stuff, the equipment that they're dragging out of museums to the battlefield there for the Russians is is bizarre. I mean, it's crazy how quickly they've depleted their stuff. Uh, also interesting to see that uh, there are there are certain weapons on this battlefield, like uh, uh, the French manufacturer, I forget, T-H-A-L-E-S, uh, they're, they're bringing back a shoulder-fired rocket that they had said there was no need to make anymore. And now they see it being used so successfully in Ukraine. And I'll get off this in a second, but so as a taxpayer, I love the fact that we're going to have a much clearer vision at the Defense Department as to where and how much money we need to spend, because I really think China is such a significant and growing threat. Uh, and I want to see more money going towards countering China. So that's awesome. I also love that we've got so many weapon systems that we're actually seeing be used on the battlefield and we are getting real-time intelligence. How do these systems work? Do they work well? You know, I mean, the Ukrainians have done such a good job of pinpointing vulnerabilities, whether it's in Russian APCs. Uh, however, you know, it has just been an amazing real-time, real-life opportunity to test this equipment, which is going to make our military stronger, better, more capable. So. Uh, I'd like this thing to be over. Like, I'd love it. We end this podcast and it's over. Okay. There are Russian men that are being forced to fight over there. There are wives and children losing dads and husbands. There are mothers losing their sons on the Russian side, as well as the Ukrainian side. A lot of these Russians are being forced to go up there. They don't want to go to the front. They don't want to fight. So morally, you should want this war to be over as soon as possible. And you should want it to be definitive. So Putin gets pushed back all the way out of the Donbass, all the way out of the Crimean Peninsula. He's, I tell people that this is very, Francis Fukuyama said that history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Yeah. And this is very similar to Hitler going in and taking a slice of Czechoslovakia uh, called the Sudetenland saying, I'm just protecting ethnic Germans. That's what Putin said when he went into Donbass in 2014, just protecting ethnic Russians, Russian speakers. And the one thing that Everybody who's listening and watching this today, I think it's so important for everyone to know this, if you don't already know it. When the Soviet Union broke apart, a third of their nuclear arsenal was in Ukraine. We went to the Ukrainians and said, you guys don't know how to maintain these weapons and you don't know how to secure them. We were operating within our own self-interest and within the interest of our allies because we did not want a loose nuke. We didn't want somebody stealing it and lighting it off in New York or San Diego or Houston. It was in our best interest to secure these weapons and to convince the Ukrainians, get rid of these. And the Ukrainians said, it's a pretty big weapon. If you want us to get rid of it, guarantee us that we will never lose a single cubic or, or square inch of our sovereign territory. And we said, yes. And they said, okay, you need to sign a document. So this thing called the Budapest Memorandum, where we guaranteed this in the 1990s. They said, now get the Russians to sign it. Russians signed it too. This is pre-Putin. What happens? 2014, Putin invades and we do nothing. We kick them out of the G8, which is why we have a G7 now, because we kick the Russians out. They got a harshly worded letter from the Obama administration and a handful of sanctions. It was just like Hitler going into Czechoslovakia. It didn't slake Hitler's thirst then, and it didn't slake uh, Putin's Putin. thirst in 2014. Putin kept going. So this encourages, you know, I had some, I have a very good friend of mine who was a uh, Green Beret, and he said that he had someone in his command uh, who said some people the only language they understand is nine millimeter or five five six <laughs> you know there's some people that they just only understand force so uh anyway i've gone on and on about this but the parallels between what's been happening in ukraine and what happened in the run-up and uh it, during world war ii it's it really is amazing it's an absolute echo of world war ii 
And Brad, keep going. I mean, that's just your platform. <laughs> and, and, and it adds different perspectives because, yeah, me and Ian are the same. We're like, man, I think we're just wasting money. I, I, I get. And but when you bring it, I get what you're saying. And I get what you're. Hey, well, it, it may it may give us and taxpayers a view of what looks like our military down the road, but it may not. And then if it doesn't, well, now we've wasted a shitload of money. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, that we shouldn't have been. So, I, but that's why. And it's recycling. It. I mean, we're actually recycling military equipment. So when you see the price tag on this, it's not like we actually wrote a check. I mean, there is some development money and things that's going over there that's actually cash. Let's say cheddar, as Will Ferrell likes to call yeah. it. So there is some cheddar that's going their way. But there is a lot of older military equipment that we put a price on, and then we can say it was worth this much. So when you see the big price tag for Ukraine, it's not. It's not all cash. Yeah, I mean, I would say just being honest here, because Chris and I have discussed Ukraine, I definitely have a different perspective than you. I think Chris certainly has a different perspective. You know more about the topic than me, for sure. Um, but I could tell you with some of the guests we've had on, like, for example, we had John Rain Waters on, F-16 pilot. John said there is absolutely no reason to send F-16s to Ukraine. He goes, they don't know how to fly these. He goes, within the amount of time they're going to learn to train on them, they'll maybe learn how to turn this thing on. And this is a guy who's like experienced with F-16. So when I hear that and I hear the amount of money being spent and the weapons being brought over there, I definitely am skeptical. And then there's also the point of someone like Chris, who you were in um, <laughs> you were in Libya to overthrow Gaddafi, really. Like that was the government's thing. And I just think of our government's history of overthrowing dictators in my lifetime hasn't worked out well. So I'm, of course, Correct. skeptical when I hear this. And, and well, I'm Correct. always skeptical with with what – ask me 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been skeptical. Yeah, I, I, went, I went into Iraq because Bush said, hey, let's go. Yep, you're right. This guy's a bad guy. Let's go get all the WMDs and all yeah. that. Yeah. And now, you know, hindsight's – well, wisdom <laughs> wisdom comes with age. Do I believe our government? And I don't care if it was right or left in charge. I, if it was Trump, I'd be saying the same thing. Yeah. I, so I don't want people to think it's, oh, you're against the, the left. No, I I'm really don't believe in a lot of wars anymore. I know they're necessary at times. Um, you know, I think we should have went in Afghanistan. That's one where like, yeah, we should have went in there. That freaking bombed us and he's hiding out. But yeah, we shouldn't case, have built a nation hard. there, though. We shouldn't have done yeah, nation yeah, building. We should have gone yeah, in and, I, and smoked this guy I mean, out. I mean, yeah. it, it is <laughs> it is if Operation Anaconda had been successful. That could have been the end of it right there. And unfortunately, it wasn't. And I knew guys that were on Anaconda, and it wasn't because they didn't give it their all. I mean, these guys were good. I mean, I'm talking about the people that were really kicking over rocks and trying to find them. That is that is unfortunately one of – the world would have been a different place, would have been a completely yeah, different I place. I agree with you. And by I the way, I'm not an F-16 pilot, so I don't know. Exactly. I, I, yeah, I, I, neither do so I. That's I why when I hear John say something like that, I'm, I'm like, okay. I, so I've read, yeah. okay, which is a dangerous thing. I don't know, but I've done my own homework, yeah. you know, which is uh, – and, and by the way, which is why I love this podcast. I don't know anything about F-16s, so I'm going to ask John. On Rain Waters because he's done it. He's flown at air shows. He's, and he's flown I'd in like, combat. I'd like to talk to someone who has trained up MIG fighter pilots to transition to a new platform like the M6, like the F-16. M-16, different, <laughs> totally different thing. I got to get my head out of the army. Uh, so, but what's interesting now is the reason, one of the reasons the counteroffensive is dragging in Ukraine is because the Russian military doctrine, they're, they're kind of, the, the way they defend themselves, you can have 
have like 20 kilometer thick defenses. So massive minefields. They don't have enough mine clearing equipment. Uh, it, it is the, so the defensive thing is really interesting. We are now finding like last summer, like the high Mars, were going to be a game changer, right? All these rockets were going to really be a game changer. Well, the electronic warfare systems that the Russians have are screwing up the HIMARS. And the Russians also have air superiority with their helicopters yeah. and their fighter planes, so with the fighter jets. So that's one of the reasons that the push is on for the F-16s over there is it would help equal everything up because they really control the air. And if the Ukrainians could even that out or even get a little bit of an edge in superiority, that would help them because the, the push on the ground, I read the other day that the problem is, is it's not when the Ukrainians, they still have this Soviet mindset of fighting. And I'm I mean, Tonto, you know so much more about the doctrine of war than I do. But so what I have read about the Ukrainians is that instead of being synchronized when they do their stuff, it's sequential. They'll keep going back to this point, keep going back to the So that's part of what we're trying to help them do is to put what we talked about those brigade combat teams is to help them better understand how to do these combined arm movements. You know, you've got the infantry, but they're not they're not teaming up with the armor well enough. But the other problem is is when the Russians put these huge minefields out there, there's no room to maneuver your armor in there. And it really, you're sitting duck as you're trying to clear it and all this kind of stuff. So there's many, many reasons. And I guess I would encourage people when, when you hear, we just need more equipment, that's not the reason the counteroffensive is not successful. It's not just what, it's not monocausal. There are multiple reasons why the counteroffensive it, it, it's inching along, it's going in the right direction, but it's not as fast as many people might like. And there's multiple reasons for that. And ground offenses is always going to go slow, especially if you don't have air superiority. Yes. Right? Because you, you have to hide if you're going through the. That's another thing. If, if you don't have air superiority, well, now we got to move at night. Well, do you have night vision? Right. And how good is that night vision? And if you don't have that, well, now you're inching. It's World War Two, and it's a lot of wide open space. I mean, this is the breadbasket of Europe. It's farmers' field after farmers' field after farmers' field. And by the way, that's the other interesting thing: is two weeks ago they started bombing uh, Odessa, like hitting the ports Mm -hmm. hard. They pulled out of the the Russians did pulled out of the Black Sea grain agreement because the uh, the caps that we've put on uh, the price of their crude and everything in crude going down. So Russia's lost a lot of money in the in the oil game. So the other thing Russia has is is a shit ton of grain. So if you want your grain to go up in value, you got to burn your next door neighbor's barn down. And so that's what they're doing with hitting Odessa and pulling out of this deal in uh, in the Black Sea. And then they've also threatened any ship that comes into the Black Sea, they consider that a legitimate target. So now there's not a ship owner. I don't care if it's Onassis yeah. himself, if he was still alive. <laughs> He's not going to send his ships, you know, uh, th- through uh, the Bosporus into the into the Black Sea to, to go get grain because Lloyd's alive. London isn't even going to uh, insure these ships. So it's a very interesting chess game. And the thing is, is if you find this intriguing, and I do, because I sure. we, we are living through one of the most dramatic moments in our history. I mean, we've seen 9-11, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, all this stuff. This right now, what's happening in Ukraine is massive. We'll tell our grandchildren about this. And the information is out there. You just have to seek it out. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. For sure. And I think, yeah, there are too many people who are just looking at what's in front of them. And unfortunately, as someone, like I said, who doesn't really watch the mainstream media, when I do turn it on, they cover like two or three of the same issues for the past two years. I don't uh, truthfully. And I, I think Chris feels the same way. I don't need to hear about January 6th anymore. I, I, like, I, I, for example, I, I it, it has been examined from every single angle. 
I would rather be seeing on the ground footage of what's going on in Ukraine for sure. Yeah. And you're going to keep hearing about January 6th because we are waiting to see what the grand jury in D.C. I mean, as we're recording this, we could all go out and grab a beer afterwards and the indictment's going to hit. I mean, that's it's that's crazy, the grand yeah. jury the is actually meeting this, right yeah. now. As yeah. we're recording this, the grand jury, I was reading it this morning on my phone that they got pulled back in. So you could have an indictment us as we're recording this, not necessarily when this airs. But so anyway, uh, I, guys, if there's one thing I've learned since March 2020. It is, may you live in interesting, interesting times, was not a Chinese blessing. It's actually a curse. The markets hate when things are roiled. Uh, you want a certain amount of predictability in life. You want to know that you drop your kids off at 8 o'clock. They get out of school at 3 o'clock. You know, if I put beer in the fridge, it's going to be cold within an hour. I mean, you, 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 predictability is a good thing. It's a good thing. And we are living through unpredictable times. Hey, hope you guys are enjoying this episode with Brad Thor. We cover a lot, I would say. We cover the war in Ukraine. Definitely a different perspective than we've heard from a lot of guys yeah, on the show, it, which it, I appreciate. I, I think he made, he made some good points there. I, I still don't agree with the war. And, and you know, what he said, That's that's we're almost like hedging our bets. We're looking down the line that maybe it might. End. But the points he made... It, it yeah it does make sense so let's let's see in a couple of years hopefully the war's done by then and we can see if it does do what he thinks it might happen but i i'm still i'm still like i think we're wasting money there and it's still my opinion but brad i respect brad and i respect his opinion and he is a hell of a lot smarter than me so i definitely will listen to his opinion and we'll see we'll see what happens yeah, and, and I was going to say, you know, of other topics we, we discussed, though, is also getting out of your your bubble. And and I actually think it's important because, yeah, we've had plenty of guys on who have the opposite perspective. I am definitely more of a non-interventionist. I don't believe America should be the world police. But I also think it's important to hear people from outside that bubble who are well-researched. You know, Brad Thor didn't just put out this book and just watch the mainstream media and hear their narrative. He did his homework. He did his research. And that's what you're going to hear on this show. Um, before we continue, though, with this interview, which we cover a lot more, a lot of stuff about what's in the future for Brad Thor, um, his books going to movies, that type of thing, or shows. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact, TUI, and soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. All you got to do is go on the dealer locator if you're looking for a dealer by you, but you're going to get an even better deal through us when you just go to fsm.com and you use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. And, you know, you just had a course. This is what you shoot with every time. It's fantastic ammunition. It is, it is by far the best in the United States of America, best in the world, in my opinion. Uh, and this stuff runs. And they, what is so awesome, they continue to develop new types of ammo. And so you go on their website, you're not going to see the standard. You're going to see 
also whether it be six at Creedmoor, whether you use, you know, or just even the different grainages when the nine mil or three in a blackout. It's it's amazing because they're never sitting still. They're always trying to develop something new and they test it and it works. And for you hunters, guys, you want that stuff that knocks someone down, knocks someone. If you're don't want to be hunting people, guys, but when you're hunting out there animals, so you want something that knocks it down and keeps it down so you don't have to chase it. 100 meters 200 yards a half a mile down the down in a wooded area and then drag it back so go to fort scott munitions look at what they have you're going to find what you need as far as ammunition go and then there's other stuff as well just on their storefront to include you know even our targets which is right over here you know battle line targets so wonderful ammunition best home defense ammo on the market best hunting ammo on the market and another company that is steeped in integrity we know the people that run it they are tremendous individuals and it gives reflects on their product Absolutely. And as we're talking about the best ammo, we got to talk about the best night vision out there. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonis Defense, the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement and public safety end users utilize Photonis Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, Shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonis Defense Viper Binocular to become masters of darkness. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonis Defense Viper Monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. Visit PhotonisDefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, Defense.com, PhotonisDefense.com for more information or look for Photonis Defense product options from your night vision dealer. And now, back to our interview with the one and only Brad Thor. Do you think think we have, and this is completely off subject, and I, I think we do. And Ian and I think both agree. There's just too much information. There's too uh-huh. much now. Because now we're, we're always going to have unpredictability because we – and I, I go back down to the dictators that we're always around, even our own politicians. How do you control the masses? Well, you instill fear. Well, how do we do that? We use that with the media and information and putting out tons of information and, and clickbait and this. There's so much of that out there. Will we ever have stability again? Because we – obviously can't turn the damn tv off because it's like cocaine we can't turn our phones off even though i have for the last three days my phone has been off <laughs> that's I, awesome and, and, and yeah it's it's like healthy it's, it's like a drug it, it very much is but i don't know if we can do that i can't get my the chinese if they're going to hit they're going to hit my house first because i can't get my son off tiktok that's <laughs> what i tell him i said you got the chinese they linked it but and that wasn't my – my wife may, let him have it. I told him no. So that – I got my overruled kids by don't the have boss it. of the – I, I got overruled by the boss of the house. I, but I, it was a fight I wasn't willing to take at that point in my own house because I was going to lose. But that's being said, will we ever have the stability, Brad? And you see it because you do get a study. You do get to watch the video. You do have to watch – you have to watch the media. And you get – and you have to talk to a lot of people that work in Northern Virginia – to make such great books but on this flip end what do you feel i i don't think we're ever gonna have stability again because there's too much information out there now it is like drinking from a fire hose there's no question and people ask me what i think our greatest national security uh risk is 
and I think it's social media. Yeah. And one of the big things is, is we, so you used to have three networks, okay? Not necessarily a good thing, particularly if the media self-selects for being sure. left of center and having a bias that, that seeps into their coverage, but you at least had people all watching the same program. So they were all discussing the same issues. Now you get people on Facebook and Facebook groups where they're only in an echo chamber with people who think like them and see the world like them. And what happens is you let your guard down. And that's where the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians, and particularly the Russians love to try to influence and press, press on cracks in the American cultural structure. Because if you're in a Facebook group where everybody believes what you believe and everybody thinks what you think, you accept what you see in there. Your defenses are down. You're not being a critical thinker. And that's where you are most vulnerable on the internet is when you're around people who think just like you. And it's, you know, I've said it before on this podcast, and I, I if people remember nothing else over the course <laughs> of my lifetime and my appearances on the Battle on podcast, <laughs> I want it to be that we are merely caretakers. We are stewards of this republic. We don't own it. it we merely hold it until we pass it on to the next generation. And it's incumbent upon us to hand down a freer, more prosperous, more successful, better nation than was given to us. You do that through your service in the military. There is no American dream without those willing to protect it. You do it by being a little league coach or being involved in civic organizations, being involved in your community. Yes, we're all wired to go and you know pursue stuff for the benefit of ourselves and our families, but we're still members of a community. And the least you can do as an American, is be well-informed. That's the least you can do to be a good citizen. So get media from places you don't like or you, you don't agree. agree with. You know, spread it out. Have civil discussions like we're having here, you know? For sure. I, I want to know more. The more information I have, the better I can make a decision. But Chris, you nailed it. It is – I will say this, and I'll end my social media <laughs> stuff here in the, in the fire hose of information. The fact is – Left and right, they've realized that the easiest way to get you returning as a customer is to piss you off. Absolutely. The angrier you are, the more likely you're going to come back and hit that blog again, that website again. You're going to watch that TV program again. So they constantly try to piss you off. Let me tell you, this is the best moment in the history of the world, in the best country to be in. Right now, we are so blessed to be in the United States of America. If you were up in heaven, a soul waiting to be born, and you could pick a place and a time, and you didn't know I was going to be black, female, white, gay, uh, paraplegic, any of that stuff. If you didn't know, you could only pick a time and a place, you'd pick the United States right now. Which is crazy because I think a lot of people don't feel that way. But I remember when we had Adam Kokesh on, um, who's a former Marine, and who's extremely scared. Like, he's I would say extreme libertarian, but he was saying that, yes, yeah, statistically, like you're least likely to like die violently right now. Mm -hmm. all, all these different statistics. But I think Americans don't feel that way. And I think it's because, yes, we are at each other's throats. And when I speak to conserve my conservative friends or my liberal friends, of which I have many, it really does feel like we're in alternate universes, yeah. even if you just ask them what's going on in the news. I mean, like conservatives are watching exposés with like Project Veritas and things like that going on who do a lot of great work. I mean, they've done stuff that some people might not like. And, but, and then you talk to people on the left and truly it was something we were talking about before, this obsession with January 6th and what's going on with Trump. And I feel like these people don't even hear what the other people are getting in their echo yeah. chamber because they don't right. take the effort to hear what's going on from the other and I don't even like to say side because truly, I mean, I am an individual first. 
I don't really care about conservatism or, or liberalism as much as being well informed on issues. And there are plenty of times on this show that if someone on the left is doing something that that is especially if it's fucked up to the military, I'll call it out or to the right. But, yeah, I, I do feel like we're living as as great of a time as it is statistically, uh, you know, in terms of like how people are generating wealth, the freedom that we get and all that, uh, the way that we're at our throats, it, it oftentimes doesn't feel like the best time in America. No, it, it listen, it doesn't. And there are times, uh, and Chris, maybe you'll get this reference. I do not. I expect Ian will be on Wikipedia when we wrap here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say this, and I expect a blank stare from you. Okay, and Chris, say. if you're if if this doesn't ring any bells with you, that's okay. It's just I politics is my baseball. So, and I mean, I'll go back decades and tell you stuff about politics. But I think we are one killer bunny experience away from a malaise speech. So that's okay. It's Jimmy Carter. It's Jimmy Carter gave his Malay speech, and you know, basically, like, yeah, you know, he looked like Mister Rogers. I think I can't remember if he had the sweater, the button-up sweater on when he did the Malay speech or not. But there's a whole thing about uh, Jimmy Carter was in a in a rowboat, and some rabbit he claimed a killer bunny came to, came after him. It's funny if you know the context. So you know, 53 years old. I I even remember that story, learning that story. Chris, truthfully, do you get the context? I, I actually, I, okay. I I, I, I love. I, when I was in fifth grade, we had a voting thing, sixth grade, and I, uh, it was Reagan versus Carter, and we're voting in our class. And I actually got everybody to vote for Jimmy Carter. I, I, I thought he wow. was, even at that age, I thought, he, yeah, I want, and, and the whole school, Ronald Reagan won the, but Jimmy Carter won in my class because I got everybody to vote for, because I, but I didn't, when he said it, I didn't, yeah, I was, a, I was like, what the? I didn't have a clue with that. <laughs> they made fun I, of it on Saturday Night Live. Dan Aykroyd used to always Dan play Aykroyd Jimmy did Carter yeah, and Dan everything. A- yeah. So, but the thing is, is we there is. And know, by the way, can I just throw something yeah. out? If we're talking about Reagan and Carter, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like when you talk about the country not being on the same page, I you know I do look at the statistics of this stuff, and then when you look at the electoral map for 1988, right? I mean, the whole map is pretty much red. We'll never have that again. Because I don't think there's ever, you know, we are so polarized. Uh, you know what? I got to tell you, I think we could have something like that again. I, I honestly do. I, I I see where you're coming from and it could definitely not happen. But I also think the possibility is is there. If you got, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to say something crazy. But <laughs> I think like if you had somebody, I'm going to get pilloried for this. So let's call it time of death. Brad's career was at, uh, <laughs> uh, like... I am not throwing support behind this person for a candidate, but the guy is so effing charming and he's actually really smart. And uh, like, like if a Dwayne The Rock Johnson ran, I don't want The Rock for president, let's be really clear. But I think there's enough. I think people, I think the majority of people don't like the tribalism. Okay, I think there's people that are just happy being pissed and complaining. Yeah. The people yeah, who yeah. like the tribalism are the loudest, That's right? The- and they are at the far at the fringes of both parties. That's those are the people that come out for primaries. Okay, we would have a much different. So listen, we didn't. So there, I think the Republican primary would they roll around like in the 70s? I think it was mid 70s. Like before that, you had the literal smoky rooms. Okay, the back room with the smoke. Party elders used to say, who are we going to run for president who best represents, let's say, for the Republican Party, who best represents our our uh, our issues, who can who can win? OK, but then we started this primary thing where we democratized everything. Guess what? Democracy is not necessarily appropriate for every organization. Guess 
I don't want to see democracy in the military. I don't want a bunch of Joes standing around with, so we're going to take that hill. Ah, oh, no, fuck it. I'm going to Starbucks. Who's with me? Who wants to yell? Let's vote on it. It wouldn't work in my house either. I don't want democracy. And I continually say, this is not a democracy. It's a benign dictatorship in my house. So uh, I'm not a big fan of primaries. And so we would have a different country if more normal people came out and voted in primaries, not the crazies on both ends. And like, if I ever left publishing and I was going to do, like, if you said to me, Brad, what would you like to do that you think would have the biggest impact on the Republic? You talk about being a steward of the Republic. I would start an organization called Primary Responsibility. And all I would do is encourage people on both sides. I don't want Bernie Bernie Sanders being the candidate. I think that guy is a screwball and I don't want him anywhere near uh, the Oval Office. Okay. I don't want him. So I would call it primary responsibility. And my number one job, my goal would be to get as many normal Republicans and Democrats and independents out to vote in primaries because I think we get a better caliber of candidate uh, across the board, better candidates overall to run. Because I remember this is so funny. So we're talking about liberal and conservative, right? So I loved busting the balls of all my liberal friends during the Trump administration because all they did was cry every single day. They had some things to cry about, okay? I'm the son of a United States Marine. We believe character is destiny, okay? I don't like Trump. I don't like his character. Which you've been very vocal about. I've been very vocal about that. But I love busting the humps of my liberal friends. (laughs) I agree with that. Because I said, you know what? I said, yeah, you're upset with Trump. He's bad. But I can, can we just hold hands on this one? Can we just hold hands and say, we dodged a big fucking bullet with Mitt Romney. Remember what a bad guy you guys all told me he was with his binders full of women and he left his dog on top of his station wagon. He was horrible. Can you imagine how bad the country would have been? And it's like, so fuck you guys. You know, and and thinking back about that, that's when Benghazi happened and he was running. And I was like, man, when when he did win, I was pissed. But of looking back on it now, after si- the Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Mysterious he ways, and he I mean, maybe it could have been a lot worse if he would have won. He well, I got to tell you, I think he, I think the left now realizes, okay, and the right does this too. They turn the opponent into the boogeyman. Mitt Romney yeah. was not the boogeyman; he's yeah. a good guy. But back to the primary thing, what's really interesting is I remember Mitt Romney calling himself a severe. severely conservative governor when he was the governor of Massachusetts. Conservatism doesn't need a modifier, okay? You are conservative or you're not conservative, okay? You don't need to, we don't say severely conservative. That was a tell. But then his campaign manager was on a program. I can't, probably I saw him uh, on Fox or CNN, but he said primaries, after the primaries, he said, it's like an etch-a-sketch. Now oh, yeah, you exactly. shake it up. And I was like, so you're telling us that you're bullshitting the primary course, voters, yeah. throwing the red meat out there, giving them what they want. So that's why I think the more normies that show up, it'll tamp down that insanity yeah. that even the candidates feel. I mean, Romney was being nuts. with they the all did, when, or, or just their ideas that are completely unrealistic. I remember in, like when Newt Gingrich ran, he was like, if I win, it's going to be 99 cent gas. Like, how, how are you going to do that uh, there's there's no Pulls plan the magic can, wand out of yeah his, i know yeah. so one thing i was going to say that was funny when you said binders full of women i actually went to college with the girl who created that meme like she oh, heard really? romney say that and 
she put it all over Tumblr and it became huge. She was invited on CNN. She got like a job out of it. It's got, and she worked in radio with me. But I, I do want to get back to the book itself because what I wanted to ask you about this book, uh, Deadfall, obviously it's, it's very apparent you did a ton of research for this book. You wanted things to be as accurate as possible. Mm -hmm. So you write these books once a year. You, we, the last time you were on was pretty much exactly a year ago. So how do you split the time between like talking to the right sources, making sure information is accurate, but also, as you say, like you're, it's all about the entertainment. You have right, to put out an entertaining right. book. How do you split that time? Well, so first of all, I grew up loving stories about World War II. In fact, one of my favorite World War II books is by Alistair MacLean. It's called Where Eagles Dare. And they made a great movie out of it with yeah. Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton. Loved that. I always wanted my special operations guy who's now working for a private intelligence agency, I always wanted to give him one of those World War II adventures. I love Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers. Obviously, the Benghazi movie is one I've seen a, a, a kajillion times. I wanted Harvath to have one of those stories like that, where the bad guys were very definable, very easy to know who the bad actors were, and that you wanted the good guys to win. And so when the when the war happened, uh, when Russia invaded, I said, A, I don't see this ending anytime soon. Peace isn't going to break out anytime soon here. Uh, and as it kind of dragged on, as Russia was unable to take Kiev, I said, okay, this is going to really go on. So this is going to be a safe area for me to set this story. But I knew eventually it would come to an end. So I never wrote about bin Laden because I didn't want bin Laden in one of my books and he ends up being killed or captured. That's going to ruin the book. Yeah. But I wanted to create an exciting white knuckle edge of your seat thrill ride in this book and deal with a lot of the things that you might have seen in even Monuments Men or Fury with Brad Pitt. So I decided – I would have Harvat, there'd be an American aid worker that's gone missing. We don't know if she's been captured, she's been killed. But there is a splinter group that split off from the Wagner mercenary group. They've gone rogue and they are committing war crimes uh, throughout Ukraine. And we believe that they have this American, they've taken her hostage, and Harvath is offered the chance to go get her. And the US government says, A, we're going to deny we asked you to do this. B, you can't take any of your teammates with you because it'll look like we put we put boots on the ground. The Russians are going to say, OK, the U.S. is now in this war. So you have to go by yourself. The Ukrainians can't offer you a lot of support. They're going to give you like three or four guys from the International Legion who speak English. And you're going to have to go after these guys. And so I wanted a book that 10 or 15 years from now, you can pick up Deadfall and still have this great, exciting thriller. But it's a balancing act. It's You, you can't tie it too closely to real people in the world. Like I've had people say, why don't you just call the Russian president in your book, Putin? Well, the guy's been around for eight books. His name is Peshkov. I'm not going to change it to Putin. And the minute you have a real life person in the book, you're attached to what they do in real life. So my goal, first and foremost, give you a great toes in the sand, book in the hand, beach read. But if you close Deadfall and you're a little bit smarter or you've got some questions or it's sent you – I call it what I do, faction, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. I've got several intelligence operations in here that I didn't make up that actually the, the, the Ukrainians did. There are some amazingly crazy things you would think never would work. 
these guys have been unbelievably successful with baiting pilots from the Russian military to come land their planes in Ukraine and they'll pay you on the tarmac. They'll give you a huge suitcase full of cash for an airplane. They've convinced all of these high ranking wives of Russian military commanders to pose naked. And opposed in boudoir photos in their lingerie to boost the morale of the troops. It's insane what they've been able to do. And the Russians have done some wild stuff too. In fact, just recently, the Russians put a BMW up for sale in Kiev and were kind of pinging Western diplomats with these ads and getting the Western diplomats going, oh boy, I'd like that BMW. That's a really good deal. And getting their email and their cell phone. So th- truth, truth can often be stranger than fiction. And I found a lot of what I put in the book actually needed to be there from the real world. It's truth, but it reads like fiction. It's amazing over there. Wow. That is so cool. Hey, is it better? Because uh, you said that you Peskov and Putin, you have people saying, well, why didn't you just call him Putin or other actors in your book where they can relate to a real person? Isn't that what you want, though? You want Because then, they're, hey, I, it may not have the name in there, and but I'm relating it to this person I actually know. I'm going to read it more because every time I read the book, I'm going to think of this real person. I, I guess that's what faction is, isn't it? Is, is that, I, am I, and I, I'm kind of saying this for people that I know that want to write books and maybe this to help them give ideas or, or what they should write is, is that I want to keep it completely away from the real person, but not really because when they read it, it may not have the name, but they have a picture in their head of what this person looks like because they're seeing Putin on TV 24-7 or they, or they saw Tano on TV 24-7 got a book with <laughs> Come on, Dave. We're working on that. But isn't that what you, what you kind of want? Because that's why when I read fiction books, I wish I said I could pick somebody out of, you know, out of my brain here and just say, this is what they look like. But I always pick somebody I've known or I've seen in a movie. Right. And that's right. what they look like. Is that what they look like? So – I guess that's kind of what you're trying to do, right? or maybe I might just bring stuff up that you are doing unintentionally because you're so damn good, because right? <laughs> you're just outstanding at what you do. It's like playing t-ball coming in here, <laughs> I whack that one right out of the park. No, I so I do what you do, Tonto. I, I will actually take actors' photos and tape them up on the wall behind my computer, and oh, so for cool. for everybody in yeah. the book, the characters I have actors. So th- this Russian president has, while people see a lot of Putin in him, there's Putin, but there's other things in him too. There's some Stalin in this guy. Uh, there's a little Trotsky. There's a little bit of everything. So he's kind of an amalgamation and he's just he's just a bad, bad guy. So while people see, when people see Putin in him, that's good. I'm glad they see Putin in him, but he's not just Putin. He gotcha. is a combination of many big mistakes the Russian people have made over the last 100, 150 years. Well, when you were talking about uh, actors and movies for who mm-hmm. you base the characters, or at least their image, I was just thinking the last time we had you on, once again, a year ago, we were talking about, I think we were originally talking about Jack Carr, the Terminalist, right, becoming right. this huge thing on Amazon, uh, on their streaming. And you said you had some things in the works. Any update on so, that? So, yeah. So we've got, we are at a massive studio in Hollywood. We got one of the best showrunners in the business. And then I got the best action Movie director. I know you love Michael Bay. It's not Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot out there. There's, no, I, I think. I, I think. I think we've got the absolute best one. You guys have seen all his movies, and he's a fucking brilliant guy. Um, and uh, and we got a writer. And the writer, who I can tell you, we got. Sad. This story does not have a happy ending. The writer was Manny Cotto, and Manny wrote most of the 24 episodes. Oh, cool. With Kiefer Sutherland. Very cool. Yep. Manny's yep. family got out of Cuba. Manny bleeds red, white, and blue. 
Manny gets the special operations community, gets military, law enforcement, and the, the, the IC, the intelligence community. We could not have asked for a better writer than Manny Cotto. So get Manny, put together the pitch, ready to go out. The studio loves it. We're all good to go. We're going to go, and now we're going we're gonna to put on our salesman hats, and we're going into Netflix. We're going into Amazon Prime. I think I know where this strike is happens. Yep, yep. <laughs> but it gets worse. It gets worse for us because the strike happens, and uh, three weeks ago, Manny passed away from pancreatic cancer. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Which wow. Is I really thought we were sad. just going to hear about the writer's <clears throat> no, strike. No, no, no. I that's wish. crazy. So- I am and did you spend a lot of time getting to know him or just some time during the process because we had to go back and forth and sure. how should this work and everything uh, but I professionally that's terrible personally I would have rather Manny just walked off the, the the project than to have passed away I feel terrible for Manny's yeah. wife his kids his nieces and nephews and all his friends in LA so we lost such an amazing writer because like I said the guy the guy's so well known for 24 he did such a good job uh, I, and then as you said even just that immigrant backstory from yeah. Cuba this guy gets freedom and he gets oppression and tyranny and that the bad guys can't win and you've got I mean how many times did Kiefer Sutherland cross the line in yeah. 24 I mean that's the hard math I like that stuff yeah so yeah. now we're at this point where we will have to, and he was a fan of the books. That was the other thing. So now we're at a point where we have to find a new writer for the TV series, but we can't even begin to talk to writers until the strike is over. Yeah, You're not and, allowed to talk to them. So we're behind, you know, the starting blocks, we were here and now we're back in the locker room. We're like, we were, <laughs> we're not even sitting in the blocks. We're back in the locker room, lacing up our shoes. And I don't think people realize like how much of an impact this writer's strike has. I think some people who listen to this riot is like, or feel like, these are just a bunch of millionaires in Hollywood. Oh, a lot no. of these are just middle class people who write things and, you know, try to have success with it, who live in the area. Right. And so for some of them, this is a side gig and they make a few bucks here and there with it. Um, it's definitely not all millionaires. <laughs> no, not everybody's no. Michael Bay. No. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, this idea of chat GPS taking over everything and having AI write bo books and movies. I mean, Actually, when you were talking about this being the best time in America or the world, yeah. that's one that's pretty scary. I don't want my my art okay. and my movies so, to be written by a computer. You can relax. You can relax because I've been playing with ChatGPT. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Okay? It's like asking Rosie, the robot made in the Jetsons, to write you a romance book. There's no life in ChatGPT. You got to tell Brandon this because he was hyping up ChatGPT no, on, on the last show. No, it sucks for actually. Actually, doing good creative work. Like I've gone to ChatGPT and asked it to outline a novel and everything. It's crap. I wouldn't read the stuff that it kicks out. I've asked for counterterrorism, unique counterterrorism stories, unique espionage stories. It will get better though. But it can only look backwards. So what it does is, is it looks at everything that exists on the internet and then tries to figure out what to take from those things it sees on the internet. There's no creativity. It doesn't yeah. create anything new. It just moves things around in different ways. So I'll ask it for a unique counterterrorism story and then I'll ask it for a unique espionage story. It gives me the same story both times. It We as, as creative people, from what I have seen as a thriller author, I'm not worried. I have not seen anything yet to worry me. Um, and back to real quick what you said about the writer's strike. It is so true. And one of the big problems is you got a first season. So imagine Chris Pratt is negotiating season two for Jack Carr of The Terminal List. And he goes to Amazon and he says, okay, we know that X amount of people gave us five stars, but I don't know how many people watched it. And Amazon's like, 
we're happy with the first season. And Pratt's going to be like, well, we got to negotiate a price for season two, you know? So tell me, how well did it do? We're happy with season one. They don't share their data. And in the old days, before we had streaming and stuff like that, you with broadcast TV, if there was a rerun of, let's pick something, MASH, okay? If there was a rerun of MASH, you knew there was a rerun because you saw it on TV. So you knew as a writer and as an actor and a director, you were due a, a certain amount of residual money. A residual check would be coming your way because you had an agreement that it could air this time. And every time it was a repeat, you got paid for that. And you don't get Netflix telling you that. You don't get Amazon Prime telling you that. So that's the problem is there isn't enough transparency. You're negotiating in the dark as a writer, director, or actor. And that's one of the big things. There's other things of, about the writer's rooms and, uh, and doing these mini rooms. There's a lot of in-the-weed stuff we won't go into here. But the big thing is, let's just be honest, cards on the table. If, if my writing is making you a lot of money, I want to ask for a raise. That's fair. That's capitalism. That's how America works. Don't be a yeah. dick. Give me the information. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I was going to ask you about the AI, but you just answered it. I mean, that was my last question is like, what What do you think is that? Because I, I didn't agree with Brandon either. I, I caught the end of that, but then I had to leave. And yeah, so I mean, I well, what he was saying is, <laughs> you know, and I don't think it's going to be the whole site, but like they have a soft rep writer who's AI generated. And But how can you how can you get I don't care what you do. You always are going to have that human spirit. Right, real emotion behind it. it doesn't matter what if, Life if you love what spark. you're doing, it's always going to be there. And and, and AI's you can't. I don't. I don't know if it's 100 years from now. I can't. It doesn't have a soul. It has no anima. It, it has none of that. It can't and, love. It can't you know. hope. It can't express fear. It can't. There's all these things. You know, we break apart books as kids in school. You know, we deconstruct them. And what are the themes? AI can't generate a theme. It can't no. say this is what it means to fall in love at 13 as a young boy and still be in love when you enlist at 18. And while you're downrange, you find out that the girl you were in love with divorced her husband and now yeah. she's got cancer and you've got to decide, do I re-up or do I go back and try to take a shot with her? AI's <laughs> never going to do that for you. It's never going to tell a deep, emotional, human story that resonates. It just yeah. – it, it's incapable of – it doesn't have emotion. It doesn't have feelings. That, I mean, that makes me happy because I know I know Chris has seen the same memes of like, you know, yeah. what would John Connor think if we were sucking well, up this to is AI? the problem. AI <laughs> is a bullshit. Get you to focus over here. It's the robot industry that wants you to ignore them. And we need to kill all the robots now. Okay? <laughs> I don't care about the AI. The robots have got to go. This is big robot trying to get you worried about AI and to not think about the Boston Dynamic dogs, those robot yeah, dogs. Right. I swear to God, we got to kill them now. We got to go now. into Cyberdyne systems it, and blow that fucker up. Before it becomes self-aware. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's Skynet's got to go. It's Skynet. crazy because we had <laughs> on um, uh, John Dolmayan, the, the drummer from System of a Down, which, by the way, made like international news. That interview was really big. But um, he was speaking about uh, actually like conflicts within his band. And I we were just talking about the experience of going to concerts, like the human interaction. And he was saying – he goes, truthfully, between me and you, I think you're going to be able to just sit in your living room. You're going to be able to put on a VR headset and you're going to be able to see Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix live. And it may sound like it, it may look like same. it, but like I just saw Stain and Godsmack at Jones Beach, which I'm going to bring up because there's actually a funny story. I'll probably when we do top a show. But um, 
I mean, the experience of being there with your friends, these songs that you remember. Pre-gaming in your in your house, having a couple beers before you go to the concert, in the excitement of just getting to the venue. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so much of that is is built in, but there's a lot of people now, I think because of COVID, they've gotten so used to being in their homes, they don't go to movie theaters anymore, um, and I think it's terrible. I, listen, you are never going to replace being with a person that you are sexually attracted to with a doll, with a VR headset. <laughs> it's life. We are human beings. We need human contact. You will never, ever be able to replace that. And the more we isolate ourselves from human contact, the less healthy we become. It's not good. We are meant to bump up against people and uh, you know, get along with people or deal with people we don't get along with. So the virtual headset thing, I think, wow, that's cool. Great. You guys can maybe sell extra tickets to people who, you know, the, you're not touring by those people. That might be a stand-in, but it's never going to replace. All of this technology will never replace one-on-one -on -one human contact. That's uh, good to hear. I mean, it is. It's good to hear that people but Brad, we're old though. We, it's not <laughs> us that we got to convince. We got to convince the Ian's generation and the generation before that. I, I don't I don't. Well, you keep writing books and I don't know if I'm going to do anything. I may end up going into hiding. So I'm doing exact opposite of probably what I should be You doing. can't hide. Your son's got TikTok. You're <laughs> no, fucked, I'm Tato. I'm screwed. You I cannot hide. I, I thought about it. Like, holy shit. I'm, my, I'm, I got a lot of life left to live. What am I going to do with my life there? <laughs> no, the CCP bro, will straighten that out for you, buddy. That definitely will. You're in trouble. Um, but I, I hate that's, that's – I don't want to hear Ian's story, but that was that – Oh, was yeah. I'll, I'll mention a top of show be, because it's, want, it's actually Benghazi related, but – yeah. Uh, wait, were you going to ask something or? No, no. no okay. I, I just, I'll tell you a top I, I, of show because I, I was going to do it during. respectful of, Brad, of Brad's time. Oh, yeah. The, well, I have going on the thing. And is David there? Is David? Yeah. He's off the good. Good. side. Yeah. I got, yeah, I got just a couple more things that, well, one thing I was going to ask you, well, not ask you, but actually just notice. I mean, I think everybody observes it when you come into here, whether it's a big interview during, you're doing on TV or you're doing something like this or Will Cow or something with Brad, uh, Brandon Webb. Mm -hmm. Your enthusiasm for this is you can't fake. I think yes. even after 22 books, 23 books, as you said, including the other that you did, you I could tell you still have a true passion for doing yeah. this. Oh. There are a lot of guys who just go through the motions. They're, they're just putting out a lot of, let's be honest, there's a lot of guys who aren't even writing the books anymore. It's just their right, name right, stamped yeah, on it. I've yeah. seen that. You know, mm -hmm. I know that you're writing these books. I know you're doing the research. Yep. I know you're going on every show that you can that has an audience. And I, I mean, I just I admire that. And I think no matter what people are doing in life, there's a lot of people who are lacking drive and motivation or passion for something like who can who can definitely learn from you? Because I don't think it's just about being a number one New York Times bestseller. You love doing this. I, it, a, thank you. And B, you know. I spent a good part of my young adult life running away from this because I was afraid, what if I try this and I fail? Uh, what if nobody likes it? What if I write a crappy book? It doesn't get sold. And I realized I had this voice in the back of my head that we all do that says, nah, maybe you don't want to embarrass yourself. But I really believe that which you fear most is often that which you're most destined to do in life. That's number one. Number two, as I said before, I'm the son of a United States Marine and my dad told me, even if you're pushing a broom, you be the best damn broom pusher on the planet. You take pride in that, you work on your skill set, and you keep grinding until there's nobody better at pushing brooms than you. And I'm blessed in that I love this. On my honeymoon, my wife said, what would you regret on your deathbed never having done? And I said, writing a book and getting it published. And she said, well, when we get home, 
two hours a day, you need to start making that dream come true. So I had that good push from my wife. And my wife agrees, no TikTok. The kids don't get TikTok, so I don't have to worry about that fight, Chris. <laughs> we need to get your wife involved. There you go. Together, we do. We can work a little psyop there. My wife will... all the time. I yeah. <laughs> well, the only the only last comment I have, unless Chris is something, is everyone who's seeing this on YouTube. I know most people listen, but and anyone who sees you on TV knows you're like the best dressed guy oh, in all of writing. You. Like, and, and it's always like a different outfit every time you're on. Any any tips for like the guys out there who want to be as classy <laughs> as Brad Thor? There's a lot well i said uh no i it's either it's either you take that's again my gig line the whole thing that's my dad the marine man i it's just you take pride in your appearance and i think it was author and wasn't he an intel uh somerset mom didn't he uh wasn't he a spy at one point i can't i'm looking at david my yeah, david, i'm like Does david I, know? I, don't, I don't know but that's, he that's said a- good clothes open all doors and my parents midwesterners you get one chance to make a good first impression uh i think i've probably balanced out hopefully being nicely dressed balance out balances out the f-bombs i've been dropping today for you people who are seeing here. me the first time they're like it looks nice but what a mouth on that guy <laughs> we can't do that on msnbc <laughs> no i can't well, i was saving them up too i really wanted to let them fly uh, morning joe but i'm well, glad i could bring it say, here what, next time you go on morning joe or you go on one of those msnbc start fuck can you beep, beep, come on beep, beep, beep. Start, and let's let's see if you get asked back yeah, yeah. And just, <laughs> good for the career it'd be a good experiment but, oh, he's uh, got his clock out now my publicist he's waving it around in the background trying yeah, to get my attention right. yeah so have you, have, have you ever done it ask has he ever done a desk pop if you, you've not anything until you've done a desk no am i the only one that's seen the other guys come on with Will Ferrell and marking yeah come on, desk, uh, desk pop Damn it, Ian, you and you're not watching movies and me not knowing music very well. I remember Ava Mendez in that movie. I'll tell you, that's what I remember. Yeah, so. Woo! That's your wife? Come on. That's not your wife. So uh, the book is Deadfall. Once again, 22nd in the series, 23 overall, which is just a giant accomplishment. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen as these keep going on. Like, I just think of, is Scott Harvath going to jump the shark after he's been everywhere in America? Like, is he going to go to outer space? space? Yeah, that's what I think. Like Fast and Furious. Be a part of space force there you, you know? go in his fiero <laughs> yeah like fast and furious there you go that's but gonna be the next one are we gonna have to thinking. pay him royalties for that idea <laughs> at a certain point i mean that's all you could go like after all the jason movies right there was jason x he went yeah. to space like i i feel like that's, that's the only territory left but um it's bradthor.com at and you know it's funny i wrote this down at bradthor on x since it's no longer twitter we have to call it x at bradthor on x and at Real Brad Thor on Instagram. And guys, episode 200 of Battleline Podcast next week. Wow. Congratulations, you guys. Yes. Yeah. He's forcing me to do it. I've been trying to quit for a lot of years. He's like, hey, come on, one more, one more. All right, I'll do one more. So day by day, bro, like you said, keep grinding. It's That's it, man. Keep grinding. Nobody cares. Work harder. That's yeah, it. Exactly right. Well, God bless you, bro. You're, and you're you doing too. you're doing awesome and, and uh, really appreciate it. And it's nice to see your passion when you come in. It it, 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 it livens up the room. Seriously. Oh, it's true. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. 
face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.